Welcome to the INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. The Infusion Nurses Society is recognized as the global authority in infusion therapy and is devoted to setting the standard for infusion care. I'm Dawn Berendt, your podcast host and the Clinical Education and Publications Manager for INS. Welcome to this edition of INS Infusion Room. Today I have with me Matt Gibson. Matt, welcome. Thank you. I'm going to have you tell our audience about yourself and about your practice. Oh, my heavens. So I am a vascular access clinician who Mm -hmm. specializes in infusion. I have a small mobile vascular access team in Michigan, but by primarily my role is an educator. And mm-hmm. I work with multiple companies writing education for vascular access mm-hmm. and uh, insertion primarily, uh, some care and maintenance in, on the infusion side. I also uh, am a consultant uh, for research mm-hmm. as a vascular access component. Mm-hmm. From the nursing side, uh, I, I have an agreement with Beaumont Hospital in Royal Oak and Deaconess Hospital in Evansville, Indiana. I also work with many companies bringing in a clinical aspect of a mm-hmm. new product and, and innovated. Uh, you know, a lot of these startup companies have really smart people in it. Engineers, you know, they have um, a, a lot of smart people but they don't have the clinical experience. And so Mm -hmm. I help bridge that gap. I help bridge the gap between what they think they know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and what is reality. There's such a big difference to what you experience bedside, what you feel, see, hear, and what the patient (laughs) experiences. Certainly. Versus what we think is typical, you know, from a leadership standpoint, you know, we have words on a page, but there's a difference in the translation between those two. So I very recently heard you present, and you said something that startled me. And the statement was, I did that. <laughs> I did that. Can you tell our listening audience about that story? So, so uh, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Until you do. And uh, I thought I was a great nurse. had mm-hmm. great IV skills. Uh, I was in ER. I could, you know, put a, an IV in a turnip. You know, I had yeah. those skills. Yeah. Uh, I had the feeler finger. You know, I could get the access. But when I started in as training for vascular access, um, you know, it was a little different story. And mm-hmm. one of the, the experiences that I had is the patient... Did not need a pick. You know, I was a trained vascular access clinician in ultrasound to place picks in midlines. The doctor did not want to place a pick because it was a central line. Mm-hmm. The patient needed a peripheral, and they could they stuck her multiple times and couldn't get blood and couldn't get an IV start. Mm-hmm. And so the nurse called me up there, and me with my, you know, thinking I knew you what I was line. doing, yep. I took a... a a too short of catheter to an upper arm to a patient, got a, a great blood return, drew a rainbow. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it was six or seven tubes of blood. Uh, strapped the thing down. You know, I saw my catheter go in the vein. And great blood return, drew the blood, 
you know, taped it down, and I, I walked out and said, got you a good IV there, so <laughs> call me anytime. Call me anytime. I, I, I'll, I'll be there for you. Well, about two hours later, the nurse called me, and she said, well, your good IV just went bad, and the patient's got a softball size, you know, infiltrate on her, uh, under her arm. And I was like, what? How did that? How did that happen? It was a good IV. I was in there. Like, I drew blood. I flushed it. It was in there. And it was before I understood. And, there, bef- you know, whenever I started doing ultrasound guided peripheral IVs, there was no training. It was, a, a, it was um, you know, just try to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I realized I got knocked off my horse, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and I realized that, I didn't know as much about this as I thought I knew. Mm-hmm. And I started really, that's when it started for me that there was something more, something more to this particular skill, right. placing IVs with ultrasound than I understood. So I share a similar experience. I was, I don't know if I'd call myself the vein whisperer, but I was pretty good. I, I, could, I could get that cannula in. Was it the right vessel? Was it was it the right uh, site? Was it the right cannula for me when I first started in vascular access? It was success was cannulating a vessel. Yes, that's right. Got that in. Had a had a full blood return. Good to go. Tape that down. That's right. Out the room you go. On to placing the next one. And a few days later, you know, we're right back in that same patient's room, and we are replacing that vessel. Or I'm sorry that cannula so and then things change with me I did the same thing as you you know we learn you know and that's the piece I want to move into in our conversation but I also had a personal experience at some point along the line now for my listeners I'm holding up my wrist and Matt's seeing right now I have the little bitty vessels in my wrist and one time I entered the hospital through the ER I was quite sick and I had an ER nurse I, I knew I needed antibiotics right away, and that nurse was putting the cannula in my wrist. I said, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And I, I was trying to speak for myself, wasn't doing very well, and she did it. She put that IV in, in my wrist, and guess what? didn't work. Guess what I was getting? Vancomycin. <laughs> Absolutely. That message, why is that so hard to get out to clinicians? That success isn't merely cannulating the vessel. Mm-mm. It's having the right cannula in the right spot for the right therapy. In the right manner that of placement. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and that's something I think, uh, Don, that we give lip service to sometimes to the standards of practice. Oh, yeah, I follow the standards of practice. Sure. Yeah, you know, I, I do the right thing every time, and my technique is great. Well, I can tell you this much. I was ER trained, and this feeler finger, I, if, I went, if I made a pass-through with a needle, mm-hmm. and I buried that needle, and I didn't cannulate that vessel, pop off that finger, it went. I oh, you took your glove oh, tip off. Yeah, tip, I popped the the fit my the the finger of that glove came right off because that feeler finger I could get the I could get access but I couldn't feel it through the glove. Mm-hmm. So I pulled back, I popped the finger off, uh, the glove off of the uh, the tip off of the glove, pulled the the cannula back, and then I started feeling and palpating. Mm-hmm. And when and when I came into vascular access. Mm-hmm. I said to myself, all right, Matt, you got to walk the walk. Mm-hmm. You're going to talk the talk. You got to walk the walk. And at that point in time, 
I started using ultrasound a great deal more mm-hmm. uh, because I committed to one, avoiding areas of flexion, placing it in the appropriate size vessel mm-hmm. with the appropriate technique. And I couldn't do that with the finger tore out of my glove. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So going back to that same presentation that I just recently heard, you, you talked about the RN's accountability, the choices that we as an inserter have to make, and that is on us. And that really comes down to our competency. So I'm going to have you talk a little bit about those choices that is fully our responsibility when we approach that patient and we do our assessment before we ever touch that patient. What are we accountable for? (laughs) Before we ever touch that patient. Well, we need to make sure that the peripheral IV is the right device. Absolutely. So that's first thing. Yeah. Uh, You know, secondly is we need to understand what an appropriate site is. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and observe and the standards of practice. Honestly, they give us very good direction. Uh, they are uh, a little open to interpretation, and that's part of the reason why I I got very specific in this presentation. But we want to select the site. The site is the skin location away from areas of flexion. We want to choose an area that we can secure the catheter to that with activities of daily living that we're not going to in, impact the, the site itself. Mm-hmm. Movement of the catheter within the vein it can be limited if we have limited movement on the outside. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so those areas of flexion, when we move, there's very little that we can do to prevent the movement of the catheter inside the vein. So the intima takes a beating if we don't choose a place that is limited on the movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The size of the vessel, hemodilution is the key to all infusion. Absolutely the yes. key. Yep. If we do not have, you know, what our bodies are capable of doing is amazing. And we can buffer a lot of stuff. A lot of harsh medications if we have the right hemodilution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The perfect example of this is why we have central lines. Mm-hmm. Because central lines have a huge, you know, uh, um, the maximum amount of hemodilution. But we as clinicians making poor choices of selecting the wrong site, meaning areas of flexion, meaning the wrong vessel, meaning too small for the mm-hmm. cannular reusing, mm-hmm. meaning too deep of a vessel, uh, then we compromise the our, the body's ability to buffer and to, to accept the medication. Mm-hmm. You know, there I believe, Dawn, that we are going to see very specific information, if I have anything to do with this, in the standards of practice about our tip location for our peripheral IVs. Mm-hmm. What I have seen under ultrasound is unbelievable. And uh, the and we have some studies now that show the tip angle that is pointing towards the vessel wall is a contributing factor to complications such as infiltration and phlebitis. So as a clinician, if I choose to stick a too deep vessel with a too short catheter, it's not the patient's fault. No, no. It's not the medication's fault. It's my, I did that. Yep. 
I did that. I made those choices and I compromised that and I did not optimize that patient's site. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you talked about tunica emptima there. So let's, you know, for our listeners, let's draw a little picture here. We do have the inner aspect of the vessel and that's the tunica intima. And most people don't realize that that's one cell layer deep that have no innervation. There is no sensation in the tunica intima. So when a patient doesn't feel the infusion, all is well. But when a patient says, this is burning like crazy, what do we know? We've already what? We've already damaged the inside layer and infiltrated that, that site to the point where we are in coming in contact with the nerve endings that are mm-hmm. located in the other parts of the vessel. Yep. So just, just outside the tunica intima begins the tunica media, which does have innervation, the ability to sense pain. And once you're in the tunica media, we now have damage. We are, or once it's burning, we already have damage. We are already at that place where that catheter has failed. Agreed. And Dawn, the people that misunderstand this very concept are highly intelligent leadership people in organizations. I was in a meeting and I was explaining this very concept. And the chief nursing officer of the whole health system said to me, Matt, you're being a little dramatic. Everybody knows that it hurts when you get uh, an infusion. And I said, you are wrong. You are wrong. Mm-hmm. And, it's, it, and it's not okay. That is not an okay thing. You know? So we want to see a world where gone are the days where we put in lidocaine in an infusate bag to numb the pain that a patient's feeling so that they can tolerate an infusion so that they will later have an injury that they have to live through after they've been discharged from the hospital. Yeah. You know, and you've seen it. You've seen what they look like. You feel what those ropey, hard vessels feel like. You said something when we first started talking about we don't know what we don't know. So how do we continue? How do we start over and over again? New nurses, here's everything you need to know. And, and how do we get to the point where we understand that competency? You said something about having someone be able to 80% of the time have a truly successful IV that lasts. Now we can begin to, to call that competence. We can, we can say we're a fairly competent IV nurse. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly right, and and we're nowhere close. We we, no. we can't even, you know, as an as organizations and facilities and healthcare systems, we can't even digest that idea that success uh, is not just getting getting the device in. We we mm-hmm. just don't understand that mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. a system, and that's why we're in the situation we're in right now, and right. that's why I'm speaking out against this, and this whole. You know, part of this whole presentation was to bring that about. Now, I'm 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 preaching to the choir here. Mm-hmm. My plans is to take this to other uh, other uh, agencies and organizations. You mm-hmm. know, maybe American Critical Care Nurses, maybe uh, you know, um, 
you know, the ONS people, the, you know, of course they have a better understanding than most, but a mm-hmm. lot of people, uh, a lot of, or the organization, uh, the, the, the ENA, you know, the emergency nurse association, mm-hmm. these are the people, mm-hmm. you know, we need to reach out to, and we need to, you know, talking infusion nurses, all I'm going to get is an amen, you know, and like, you're right. This is what we need to do. Right. But who's going to do it? And who's going to think, well, it's just a PIV. It's just a peripheral IV. You know, we've known that for years. You know, it's just an IV. It's just an IV. When they go bad, you just put another one in. It's just what we do. Mm -hmm. It's just what we do, Matt. I've been told that. Mm -hmm. And you talked about staggering numbers of the cost. It's hard for us to even get to the point where we're adjusting cost to consider the cost to the patient, but we can see the literal cost to the organization for poor practice, yeah. for unskilled, or lack of competency in clinicians as far as peripheral intravascular access. All right. So, Matt, where else? You, you mentioned the Emergency Nurse Association. You mentioned critical care nurses. Is there um, a need to go Farther up, do we need to get at the government level and well, talk that about nice? these <laughs> needs and create an expectation that patients could have that they could safely come in, get an infusion, endure a hospital stay, and not go home with um, their vessels? You know, <laughs> really, I, I I'm picturing some bruises and stuff that I saw on a relative a few weeks ago, and I was just like, and and that was just like, yeah, oh. oh yeah, I just got out of the hospital. These five bruises are, you know, what happened there. But the rest of me, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the problems and the challenges that we face with vascular access and infusion is so many people do it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and uh, and and they're, it's fragmented in the accountability. Where does the accountability really lay whenever we're talking about results, you know, and outcomes for peripheral IVs uh, specifically, uh, it's really tough, you know, and, and that's the approach that I've taken to begin with. And this is what I think. If we can get some major hospital systems to adapt, you know, not just write it in their policies mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. policy does not reflect practice, you can write, you know, what the what the standards of practice say in your policy, and and you will still have horrible, terrible care mm-hmm. because no one is accountable for the outcomes, and and that's why I came in it as a cost because the decision makers, the CEOs, mm-hmm. the CFOs, and the CN, the whole C-suite, the medical mm-hmm. directors. If they get a hold of this information and they can see, yes, we have a problem, we need to dedicate resources, it has to be almost driven from the top down in order for change to really happen, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And, and wouldn't it be nice, you know, I mean, I, as far as peripheral IVs go, uh, if, if we ever could get bloodstream infections as a reportable incidence and a penalty assigned to that, the world of peripheral vascular would change. It would change mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because that is that is at that point in time, the hospitals are going to get dinged for that and they're going to start putting time and effort into that. And by and, and honestly, 
HPV infections is a late complication. Yeah. It's a late complication. There are so many things that are going wrong before the infection happens. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, what you just said, you know, we all experience that when there were penalties against CLABSI, against a central line-associated infection. And what a poor indictment of, of healthcare that we didn't make the change on behalf of patients until penalties were associated. And then all of a sudden we needed every bit of information and every um, gadget that could be invented, every everything that could help us bring those catheter-associated infections down or get to the point where they were at zero. Then we stood up and took notice. But we're still kind of dancing around the fire as far as peripheral IVs. And I know I've said this before, I've shared it a few times maybe, but I think one of the best things I've ever heard was we had a legal consultant who presented once and she said, when I go to the theater, I can go into the first door, I can go into the door way down on the end, but I still reach the same popcorn stand. And it's the same thing with vascular access. It doesn't matter if you've if you're going into the central vascularization, if you're going a little higher up on the arm, or if you're going way out on the periphery, you still are in the same bloodstream. And the risk of infection is equally the same. So that should confound us that, we, that we're so long getting to this point. Mm-hmm. No tracking system yet for these. No, we, no we, reportability. We, we need accountability. Yeah. So, Don, the culture of peripheral IVs has always been, you know, one goes bad, you just replace it. The idea of actually only having one device is really a new concept for the healthcare. You know, I mean, we, as CRNI, mm-hmm. you know, people who people who are vascular access and infusion, we talk the talk, but we don't necessarily walk the walk, mm. you know. And, and this is where... Um, Lee Steer, uh, he's a nurse up at Hartford Hospital. Yeah. Uh, he did a, a study. It was a fantastic study. I've learned a lot from the study mm-hmm. uh, and love where it's going because his goal was to use one device for their hospitalization. Mm-hmm. Using the vascular access team, he created uh, a bundle. You know, he mm-hmm. added a, a couple of different components uh, to his bundle, insertion site, device selection, the, some of the equipment, uh, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. He believed he was going to get extended dwells out of his catheter, so he used a CHG product mm-hmm. uh, dressing. Uh, he wanted to prevent uh, occlusions because once he put it in, he didn't want it occluding off. Mm-hmm. So he looked at uh, an anti-reflux technology. So he had all of this bundle outlined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what he found was that Almost 90% of the time that, that his team of six placed the device, therapy was completed and the patient went home. Mm-hmm. And he did this 96% of the time on one stick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he compared to the standard of care, and, and the standard of care was 18% of these devices lasted un, uh, until discharge or completion of therapy. So you have the difference between, you know, 90, almost 90% and less than 20% of the time uh, that completion of therapy was. And mm-hmm. he used what was in the standards of practice, some simple 
catheter to vein ratio. He used the same catheter. It was a 22 gauge that was a, a, a little bit longer than the standard, so mm-hmm. a 1.75 inch catheter, uh, you know, to implement into, you know, and this was the goal, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. did he have a little bit more expense? Yes, he did on per exertion because he used better technique and better equipment. But the outcome was the hospital was going to save money because big he, time, big time, big time. And the savings they calculated at almost $3 million, yeah. you know, on yeah. the year. Listen, that can buy a lot of nurses. That can buy Absolutely. a lot of education. You know, Absolutely. you know, and and it can buy a lot of specialized equipment. So if they needed more near infrared, if they need more ultrasounds, if they need more training, yeah. they would have the resources, yeah. and they created that yeah. that savings. And 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 this is what I want to real. That's what this whole presentation was about. Yes. Was what is it really costing us to do this the same way we've always done it, and not recognize that there is a better way even when we have a standard of practice that we know yep. is yep. better. So shout out to Lee. Lee Steer, we hope you're doing well. We'd love to get in touch with you again, hear from you, and maybe have you on our podcast again as well. Lee and I were on an um, advisory committee together when he was in this process, and he shared preliminary findings, and he talked about getting the buy-in from their organization so he had the right people supporting him in this process. But really, you know what it was? It was Lee. Yeah. He's the guy. He was like, he was so enthusiastic. He's not a professor anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe you are now, Lee. But I mean, <laughs> he's just a guy with a passion. Yeah. Passion had... is power, Don. Passion is yeah. power. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, you know, especially for simple-minded country boys like myself, <laughs> the passion that I have for this has gone a long way for my career. And, 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 and my goal, personal and professional, is to advance the practice of vascular access and infusion and eliminate complications. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just like it. Just like it. He had passion. He had a vascular access team. And he said, why not? Mm-hmm. Why, don't, why don't we look at the numbers, see how much this is costing, and see how we can do it better and have it be better for the patients, better for the organization. It's a win-win all the way around. Plus, look what it did for his vascular access team. So successful. Mm -hmm. So successful. It has to be such a good feeling to be a part of such a successful work right there at home. Yeah. Right there at home. And we're we're talking about it today. We will look back and and we'll note, you know, that Lee Steer had a major influence in Mm -hmm. this field. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and we will look back and we will, we will know where uh, so much of this has come from, mm-hmm. you know. And Lee Steer is just a guy, yeah. <laughs> a guy with a passion. So I know we need to wrap up our conversation here. We could talk all the rest of the afternoon. We're both just probably talked out here. I know we've done a lot um, today, uh, you know, in our personal work and lives as well. But I do want to close with you um, telling me, you've, you've shared a little bit of what you're hoping for the future. But if you could make a difference in patients' lives and in clinicians' lives with the rest of your career, what would you aim at? Boy, that's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah. that's that's Putting something you're right to think on the about. spot. It's going to start with clinicians with education. 
Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's bringing the level of understanding of infusion therapy and the principles of infusion, vascular access techniques, and bringing those to the masses. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, to me, will have the biggest impact on the patients mm-hmm. because, Don, I can't do it by myself. No. You can't do it. No, Lee can't, I can't do, do it. I can't do it by myself. No. You know, all the people that have come before us, uh, you know, they can't do it alone. It it has to be a, a broad-based education effort to the masses. Some simple principles in for on the peripheral side, just simple principles as far as when not to stick the patient and when not to place the device. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's the biggest hurdle. Uh, you know, because it's my patient, and I, I got to go in there and try to get an IV started because it's my responsibility. And yet, we don't give that nurse the quality of the education, the tools that they need to be successful in starting the device, keeping the device for, you know, it starts on insertion. Mm-hmm. And if, mm-hmm. that, if we can reach the masses on those principles— we can make a widespread difference in in peripheral IV care. Okay. I'm looking forward to seeing you accomplish that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Matt, thank you so much for being on this episode of Infusion Room. Appreciate it. This concludes this episode of INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. We welcome your comments. You can reach us at infusionroom at ins1.org. That's infusionroom at ins1.org. Thank you for listening.